0: Welcome everybody to sparking wholeness. This is Erin Carey. I am super excited to introduce you to Dr. Sanam Hafiz. She is a neuropsychologist in New York City and on faculty at Columbia University. Her website is comprehendthemind.com. She has been a trusted and recurring expert across media cha- channels for top outlets such as Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, Huffington Post, New York Times, Bustle, Elite Daily, I could go on and on as well as shows and news such as Dr. Oz, the doctors, CNN, CBS, New York weekend news and Fox. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, I really have been wanting to tackle the topic of sleep and mental health. And I think you are the perfect person to address this because I know many people right now, because of what we've all been through the last couple of years, they're struggling with sleep. What's going on? So, you know, sleep is um,
1: it's such an integral part of our well-being. And I think people don't realize it till it's disrupted. I think people who sleep well don't realize how much of a role it plays. And I'm not talking about that one, you know, random off night where you might not be able to get a full eight hours or you wake up and you go to the bathroom a lot. I'm talking about chronic issues with sleep, you know, but what we had prior to the pandemic is we had some level of structure. We had something that, you know, you got up every morning, you got dressed, you we were out the door by eight o'clock or so, you took the train, you got into your car, you came home at five o'clock, you, your body was tired, you were mentally spent to some degree, you made dinner, you went out for dinner, and even whether you wanted to or not, you just crashed, you went to bed at some point. You know, Even if you had maybe not the best sleep, you were getting some semblance of your five to seven, ideally eight hours of sleep. I think what the pandemic did was it disrupted. That routine. It disrupted the circadian rhythm that most of us had developed since we were born. And circadian rhythm, um, for those who might be interested, is basically your body's internal clock. And I know that now in the last, you know, couple of years, circadian rhythms get, it's it's, it's time in the sun, you know, everyone's talking about it. (laughs) But, you know, for us, um, people in the the medical field, uh, scientists, people who are interested in how the body works, we know what the circadian rhythm means. I mean, it is really important to the functioning um, or the regulation of our body. So for instance, you know, our bodies release a a neurotransmitter uh, called melatonin, which basically regulates sleep. Um, You know, we have sort of something in our brain called, it's like almost like a switch. It's called a sleep-wake cycle. And it shuts off and, and turns on automatically. I mean, most of us You know, have can fall asleep um, when it's time to go to bed, when it gets dark. It's almost like your body, your brain is naturally designed to say, okay, time to go to bed. Even if you have blackout curtains, when it's time to wake up, your brain will wake you up. So granted, some people have an impairment in the way that system works. But the circadian rhythm is really essential. You know, for those people out there listening to your podcast right now who've had babies, remember that they were told draw the curtains, make it dark in the room when the baby needs to go to sleep because you want the brain to learn that darkness is associated with sleep because how else do you sleep train babies, right? They they don't know. Yes, some, at some point this will kick in, but we want to sleep when the baby's sleeping. It's a survival technique. And I speak as a mom who had twins the first time. And so wow. trust me, <laughs> I needed them to sleep. So, you know, so the circadian rhythm is such an important part of our life that we don't quite realize how much it does for us till it's disrupted. And I think what the pandemic did, apart from many, many other things, it disrupted our circadian rhythms. Upwards of 40 to 50% of Americans were already struggling with sleep. I remember doing a lot of research on sleep. Um, You know, every year we have sleep month. And so a lot of outlets reach out to me. I remember doing something for I can't recall if it was CBS or CNN. I remember this is like six, seven years ago. And I remember being really shocked at finding out that 40 to 50% of Americans either have some level of a sleep disorder or report significantly impaired sleep. That's a big number. A lot. You know, and you realize that these people are still out there working, living amongst us, you know, getting their kids to school, um, seeing family and friends. On little to no sleep, or just really poor quality of sleep, and I can you imagine what something like the pandemic that was so unprecedented did to that number? I mean, not only did it probably undo them, it added a whole bunch of other people to that lot. So, um, I think I think sleep gets enough attention, but it still doesn't get enough attention because if you really understand the impact of what sleep does to your body, to your brain, I think you realize that it's, it's probably the most underrated or underutilized benefit to our health.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And can you briefly explain what does it do, especially for people who struggle with mental health issues? How does it impact the brain?
1: So you know we know so many things about sleep, and uh, from a I guess a more physical standpoint, there's a study out there that was I I believe it was done by the University of Boston, a Boston University. Um, it was on nurses who worked overnight in. Um, Whatever unit, and I think they did this on a very large number, and I they followed them longitudinally, and they found that the nurses who worked the overnight shift were more prone to recurrence in breast cancer or having breast cancer than those that worked the daytime shift. And it was such a significant number that the greatest understanding of that study was really that you're disrupting their circadian rhythm. This is why the body doesn't either have a chance to heal or the DNA. You know there's there's something with, with stress and with um, diseases like cancer or, or other uh more you know catastrophic diseases that attack the body the dna shortens the 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 actual strand shortens and it shortens over time and it doesn't renew and it, it hurts your body and so if that's what it's doing to your physical body can you imagine that the toll it takes on your mental health on the way your brain functions there is a lack of uh, renewal that happens while you sleep. You know, we know, we know from extensive research, what sleeping does, you know, we know that dreams are actually a lot more than just a movie you see at night. You know, it's, they, they exist to help us learn. They exist to fine tune our memories. They exist to replenish the brain. And if you're not getting that your brain is just not working at its full capacity it's not recording the information that it needs for future use. Um, When people who don't get enough sleep, you know, they can, they're more prone to irritability. Uh, You know, you, we all remember, right. Being kids and our parents saying, go to sleep. You have a test tomorrow. You're not going to do well if you don't get your, you know, eight hours or 10 hours of sleep. And, you know, it's true because we're able to attend and concentrate and focus better when we've had enough sleep. And, for those of us who struggle with depression and anxiety, you know, sleep, not only is it sort of like a a vicious cycle because anxiety and depression impact the way you sleep. And so even those people who sleep a lot because they're depressed, the quality of sleep that they need is not what it should be, right? Because they're really using it as a coping technique or it's, it's a symptom of their depression. Um, And if you're not getting enough sleep, you're, you're kind of repeating that cycle. You know, you're not your alert self. You're not well-rested. Uh, the brain doesn't really know how to anticipate and respond to stressors. Some things that may not even be that irrational or that threatening may be perceived as being more so because your body's functioning at a, at a lesser capacity. So it anticipates or perceives something as being more threatening than it really is. Right, So you can, you can see why it's so critical that a well-rested person can really sort of wake up and attack the day, so to speak, whereas an ill-rested person might be very easily overwhelmed by something that otherwise wouldn't stress them as much.
0: Yeah, that is so important. Now, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Ritual. Ritual is spelled R-I-T-U-A-L. And, you know, you mentioned, Dr. Hafiz, about our body not functioning at full capacity and i think that that is the case for so many women due to gaps in the diet and in fact over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin d from their diet and 95% are not getting the recommended daily intake of key omega 3s that's a big deal rituals essential for women 18 plus multivitamin I love this formulation because it was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill these nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 and over it it contains nutrients that help support brain health bone health blood health and provide antioxidant support which we all need in our lifestyles of stress and fast pace and hurry having antioxidants are so important. But I will also say one thing that impresses me about Ritual because, you know, I'm all about the science, I'm all about the data. Well, they invested in a gold standard university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of this multivitamin Essential for Women 18+. plus. The results is that Essential for Women 18+, was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. This clinical study was published in the leading scientific journal, Frontiers in Nutrition. Ritual also just released Symbiotic Plus. This is a gut health supplement. You know I'm all about the gut health. It has clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic all-in-one minty capsule. Taking just one delayed release Symbiotic Plus capsule per day supports your gut with all the quality and traceability you'd expect from Ritual. Ritual has all of my bases covered when it comes to filling the nutrient gaps. I'll be honest. I love the science behind it. I love the ingredients, but the packaging is pretty incredible. I love the way the capsules look. They're different from any other multivitamin that I've ever taken in the past. I definitely feel better taking my Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and I'm a big fan of the Symbiotic Plus as well. Not to mention the fact that there is a multivitamin for kids four and over that my kids have been taking, and they beg to have their vitamin every day because they're loving it. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com spark and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com spark. Now, Dr. Hafiz, getting back into this topic of sleep, you know, a common concern that I hear from people is that they wake in the middle of the night, their brain is wired, it's going, but they lay there wide awake, creating this loop. What do we do about the loop that is happening at night when we can't sleep? Oh, so many things. I love this. Um, You know,
1: I think most people out there, including you and I will admit that A lot of the anxiety that we experience somehow seems to start at night when everything's still and quiet and everything you're worried about, you know, sort of uh, becomes, you know, amalgamated into one, you know, insane, almost like a, uh, it's like a typhoon. It just is a whirlwind and it doesn't stop and you can't catch your thought, so to speak. You're like, wait, well, I have to do that. You yeah, have to do that. Oh my, God, oh my God, I'm going to forget all of this stuff. Oh, this is really important stuff. I can't believe I forgot that I needed to do this. And, you know, when I talk about sleep, I talk about some sort of having some sort of a ritual. If unless you are that minority that can just the minute your head hits the pillow, you are in this beautiful deep slumber and you get your seven to eight hours a night, which is optimal sleep, by the way. Um I think having a ritual is very important. And that ritual could be something as simple as not consuming, let's say any caffeine leading up to the three hours you know before bedtime. It's maybe listening to light music, maybe turning off the TV, certainly shutting down that laptop, that phone because the blue light has been shown to disrupt sleep. And it keeps you awake because it's basically sending your brain a signal that you're still in work mode and you're not ready. You can't go to bed, Even if you're exhausted, your brain is saying, no, 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 you you have things to do. What are you doing? So I I think something like that, exercising at night. You know, one of the things that I, I can tell you I started doing because the pandemic, apart from that first couple of months of the lockdown, where we all really didn't know what to do. Like we just were kind of, you know, finding our footing. Uh, I remember I started working out at almost midnight because that was the first time I'd have time to catch my breath. I had two kids, very young at the time; they were only five, they hadn't even turned five, who had to remote access and be on kindergarten Zoom classes. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Um, you know, and I had to figure out what to do with my practice. Was I patients were still calling? People were having all kinds of struggles. People were dying all around us. I'm in New York City. It was. A terrible time. It was a terrible time. And you know, I remember started working out at midnight. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is when I find I was almost bragging about these midnight workouts, only to find out that I didn't stay up till three, four in the morning because now my body and my brain was so wrapped up that I just needed to keep going. I couldn't sleep, but then I had to be up because my kids had to be on their Zoom kindergarten garden class. Right. So it was a nonstop cycle. And I thought, okay, this isn't working. And yeah, so a lot of it was just sort of trial and error, but working out at night, um, you know, for some people, it really is an inevitability of life because they work crazy long hours and the the first chance they get is late at night, but it's not ideal. Ideally, you should do it first thing in the morning, get it out the way and really, you know, kind of rev up your body to go for the day. Um, You know, having some sort of a ritual, be it, you know, a a warm bath, um, you know, Um, using essential oils, putting on, you know, uh, like one of those eye masks, you know, even watching maybe something funny or something. um, you, You know, I, I'm a big fan of like my old sitcoms that I sometimes, I mean, now we have all these streaming devices, but for years I would record them on my DVR because they had a calming effect on me, you know, and the predictability of them because you've watched them before. They don't make you very alert. You almost know what's coming as opposed to, let's say, your favorite show and you're like, oh my God, I want to know what's happening. Your brain is now alert again, right? So, I mean, these are tiny little things, but they work. I'm also a big fan of herbal teas, you know, something that maybe doesn't have caffeine in it can have a very soothing, calming effect. Research has found that these uh, certain teas, uh, certain oils like lavender oil, you know, having maybe even you know, a candle ritual, maybe light reading. These things can do amazing, amazing things for, um, you know, for you. And if you have a partner, you know, maybe have a, a ritual with the partner. So you guys are both going to bed at the same time, instead of kind of waiting for for him or her to come to bed or, you know, uh, expecting well, uh, what's happening or is it time or are we doing, what's he doing, what's she doing? You know, I think, having your partner or even your children on the same wavelength as you about bedtime can be very helpful. Because let's face it, when there are other people in our home, in our periphery, they keep us awake, you know, for various reasons. Um, You know, I, I, for one, you know, even as as I'm going to bed and, you know, my husband will come in, I'll still be like, oh, I need to check on my boys. They might've moved. I need to make sure they've got their covers on them and all these things do disrupt you and at some point i have to say okay this is it i'm not checking on them again now i'm going to bed um you know so i think i think i'm a big fan of rituals and the one thing i will say about the anxiety or that flight of thought that you just talked about it shouldn't hit every night if it is hitting every night if it's happening all the time then maybe you have some level of anxiety that needs to be addressed um i'll tell you something that i'm a huge fan of and i guess your your listeners can see this but I came back from a really wonderful Memorial Day vacation, um, well, a getaway, you know, with my family. And it was wonderful. But you see these three pages that I'm I'm flipping through my notepad and you see a lot of writing on them. Um, I I thought about a lot of things, you know, as even though I was enjoying myself, I was hiking and I was with my family and having a ball. Um, I sat down and wrote down all the things that I thought about that needed to be done for this week, for this month for the next couple of months and once it was on paper i was like okay now i can add to it for the most part i've put all the things that i needed on a piece of paper so my biggest advice to anyone listening is if you are fraught with these thoughts about all the stuff that oh my god i i'm, I'm going to just drop the ball on so many things and it's going to be so disastrous have a notepad near your bed get up Take it out. Don't turn on that phone. I know that, you know, unless you want to set an alarm or reminder, write down all the things that you need to do. And as you start writing those things, other things will come to you. And before you know it, you'll have like a page or two of just the things that you need to have done. And putting those flying thoughts on a piece of paper is not only incredibly therapeutic, it makes you feel productive. It makes you feel that You've seized the day, so to speak, even before it began. And then some people can just sleep like babies. If you are distraught about a relationship, a fight, a conflict that's going on, have a journal by your bed. Writing your thoughts down can almost feel like texting that person without texting that person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, you can put your thoughts on paper. It feels like you've communicated them. And a lot of times you find that you're not as angry or as upset or as devastated once they are on paper because now you've allowed your brain to process them. You've allowed your brain to communicate them, albeit on a piece of paper, not to another human being. And in doing that, you've clarified your own emotions and, and your thoughts. And that alone reduces negative thoughts, negativity, emotionality that was probably irrational because you realize, all right, that kind of sounds silly, or maybe I'm making a bigger thing of this. Or now I know exactly what it is that I want to communicate to this person without coming across as angry or bitter or nasty and damaging a relationship, right? So I can't stress enough how much, not only do I practice this, how much I believe in these very simple cognitive behavioral techniques that I think can make a world of a difference, but The caveat is that it needs to be a habit. You can't just do this once in a while and expect it to work. It needs to be part of that ritual.
0: Yeah, because I think for a lot of people, part of their ritual is laying in bed, worrying, being anxious. And so you're anxious about being anxious or you're anxious about not sleeping. And Mm -hmm. so how do you recover from that? (laughs) By creating these new rituals? Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Having rituals... Without,
1: You know, I will also say one more thing. One of the things I came across during the pandemic, um, and I, I can maybe find them and reference some of these articles and send them over to you. Um, a lot of writers were reaching out to me mm-hmm. and saying, we're talking about rituals. Um, we're talking about some of them good rituals. Um, you know, I do a lot of work in also in the, the wellness and the beauty industry and, um, you know, techniques and meditative habits that can be very good for you in in the mental health sphere. Mind you, these things are not meant to replace real mental health help. So it's very, very important to say that while they help on a day-to-day basis, if you're really struggling with depression or anxiety, while these things could be very effective on the day-to-day, you really need to reach out to a licensed mental health practitioner as like a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a licensed therapist who can help you. But, you know, Um, something as simple as, you know, a skincare ritual or a bathing ritual um, can be very helpful. And I I was talking to a lot of writers and magazine outlets about this till I came across this one very bright woman who was a writer and she wrote about becoming obsessive and rigid about these rituals where uh, during the pandemic, what she found was um, that if she didn't exercise a certain way every single day, she could not move on. And if something disrupted that, it threw her brain for a frenzy. And this interview turned into a little bit of an assessment for me, because, you know, once a psychologist, always a psychologist, (laughs) I didn't stop. So I, I asked her some questions. And I said, you know, are you prone to anxiety? Are you prone to obsessive compulsive disorder? She said, nothing in particular. But then we started talking about, I said, well, do you have any family history of it? And then she like opened up a Pandora's box of how her mother had struggled with anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder in her younger years, and really fought fought with it. So I think the pandemic almost like broke the seal for a lot of people, mm-hmm. people who had managed to keep these, you know, anxieties intact, suddenly couldn't control them. And be- the, the the pandemic became a thing where you had such little control over what was happening on the outside. Some people tried to exercise that control on their internal lives. And it proved to be really difficult. You know, what started out as a good, healthy ritual became a bit of an obsessive one. So, you know, remember that these rituals are meant to be, to enhance your well-being, not become another burden to carry. So I think it's also very important that I put it out there for your listeners to um, remember, you know, you don't have to write in your journal every night. You don't have to make lists every night, but if you do them often enough, you find that You are more productive, which I think in our current world, I think is the thing that worries people the most. I'm not doing enough. I'm not accomplishing enough. I'm dropping the ball on so many things. So I think when you write things down and you start knocking them out, you start to feel, you know, productivity begets positivity, you know, and they start feeling like, oh, I'm I'm doing things. This is amazing. Um so I, I think. You know, even if it's something as remembering to put your, you know, chicken out to thaw the next morning. It's one thing that you got done instead of coming home and finding, oh, damn it, I forgot to put the chicken out and now I have nothing to cook and I'm gonna have to do, you know, take out again. And I don't want to be healthy because I'm trying to change my habits. You see how it's such a a spiral for some people? Um, so little habits like that can can make you feel like you're really helping yourself and your family be, you know healthier and lead better lives. And uh that alone is it's,
0: you know it's worth its weight in gold. Absolutely.
1: Wherever you like. <laughs>
0: uh, yes, yes, absolutely. And I think for a lot of, I will say moms, you know, I, I have a lot of listeners who are moms of young children. When their kids go to bed, this is their time to do what they want to do. So how can they incorporate healthy, you know, sleep hygiene rituals, even though I know as moms, we are selfish with our, with our own time. So how can we, you know, come to a compromise with, you know, because I, I have, you know, I know a lot of people that stay up very late, just scrolling social media. And I personally don't feel like that's the best way to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> but it is something that we do because that's the only time we can do it, right?
1: I mean, I'm guilty of that. I I mean, I'm not (laughs) going to sit here and tell you I don't do that. I mean, sometimes I'm like, wait, where'd the time go? And I'm just scrolling Instagram and looking at stuff that absolutely, you know, and I guess on some level it's relaxing, on some level it's um, therapeutic, but in the big picture, I don't think it's the healthiest of habits. If you're doing this every, you know, once in a while and you have some sort of a limit on it, it's not the worst thing. But if you're doing it every single night, maybe it's not the best idea. And God, do I understand how important that downtime is? Oh, my God. I mean, if you know, your listeners are moms, then I think there isn't a single person who can understand this. And I think a lot of it starts with, you know, having some structure and rituals, not just for yourself, but for your family, you know, getting your kids down and making sure that they're going to bed um, happy is a big part of our happiness, right? So, I, I, I know that the, the nights that I am running late with my work and then I'm running late with dinner and then my kids don't get to bed on time and then they want their, you know, nighttime routine with me, it just throws everything off. And so the better I can manage my evening leading up to bedtime where they can sense my urgency. They know when I want to get out of their room <laughs> and the more I want to do that, the longer they want to hang on to me. So I find that when I am relaxed, they're relaxed and they not off to sleep a lot faster so i've learned that that my you know wellness is so important not just to me but to my kids and then when they're off to bed i can sort of have a plan for what i want to do with those very precious 2 to 3 hours that i have to myself you know and so whether it's you know a cup of green tea whether it's having a show that you've already decided you want to watch, whether it's even, let's say right after that, you haven't had a chance to work out or stretch or meditate, take 15, 20 minutes to do that, you know, and it can really, you can almost like look forward to those two, three hours instead of just letting those two, three hours go to Instagram or scrolling through Facebook and looking at people's photos and videos that you don't even care about, you know. Um, you know, have do some light reading, have an idea of maybe there's a, a great show that you want to watch. Um, you know, even if you want to catch up with a friend, you know, I have some friends on on different time zones. And sometimes I make dates and I go, okay, the boys will be down by this time. Uh, it'll be, you know, six o'clock for you, it'll be nine o'clock for me. Let's catch up. And looking, being able to look forward to things like that can really make that time worth you know, worth its its time really, you know, instead of just sort of saying, oh God, I had all this time and I just wasted it. You know, sometimes I'll even do a little bit of light cleaning or organizing and it kind of makes me feel like I can start the day off a little better the next day. So, you know, again, we're all struggling. I mean, by no means do I intend to say that I have it all together, but because I do so much of this work and I I kind of have the inside knowledge to how important this is. I work really, really hard at some of this stuff. I even talk about morning rituals, you know, waking up and not reaching for that phone, doing some light stretches in bed, getting out, opening up the windows, making your bed. God, I love just something as simple as making your bed in the morning can really set the intention for the day. So it's not just about the nighttime. It's also how you end the nighttime, um, you know, and if you can, if you have the luxury of having an hour, even, or half an hour to your morning to yourself, it can really do wonders. You know, even if that one cup of coffee with nothing but gazing out the window can do so much for your mental health for the day.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I do believe that a good night's sleep often starts in the morning. So I I love that you mentioned that because that's so important. Now, the last question I'll ask you, because the name of the show is Sparking Wholeness. If you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Set
1: intentions and goals. Really, um, I think people think that these intentions and goals have to be weight loss or to buy, you know, uh, a bag or a car or a house. You know, little intentions and goals are what make big intentions and goals. And if you, let's say, want to go for even a walk around your neighborhood, you know, that's an intention. Do it. And once you accomplish that, even if you don't accomplish some other things, you can say, well, I did one thing that I wanted to do today. It's okay. Don't be hard on yourself. Life has a way of, you know, steamrolling you and say, all right, well, tomorrow, there's always tomorrow. And this is where things like your lists come in handy. Um, You know, even a saying to a partner to hold you accountable, listen, we have to make sure we're having salad, you know, three or four times a week. or, or I'm going to go for a walk. Can you just remind me, can you watch the kids so I can go just have 15 minutes to myself of fresh air and just quietness. And you'd be amazed at how many people in your, in your home, and your environment want to help you, but they can't read your thoughts. People are struggling with their own stuff. So if you do that for them, you know, if they do that for you, you'll do it for them. And it becomes a nice give and take and it benefits everyone. You know, one small thing, I think if people just learn, and as moms, I think we know this better than the average person, that a little thing that we do for ourselves does so much for the ecosystem around us. So it's not just us. You're, you're setting a change in motion that will benefit so many people.
0: Yes, that is so important to remember. Now, thank you. This has been such a good conversation and I love everything that we've covered. So for people who want to know more about you and what you do, where do they go?
1: So I am um, on Instagram as Dr. Sanam Hafiz. It's my, I guess, a poison of choice when it comes to social media. I enjoy it. And um, I'm also on the same, I think, handle on Twitter and on Facebook. And um, I can be found at comprehendthemind.com. I have a practice in New York City, in Forest Hills, Queens, and I primarily do assessments for both children and for adults. And I do a lot of this, you know, media, public speaking work and and hoping that, you know, people like uh, your listeners will benefit from my insights and my experience.
0: Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation, and I appreciate you taking the time to offer your knowledge and your insight. Thank you. It was lovely to speak with you as well